welcome back to the get sh- ready for some awesome you guys know what that means johnny storm is back on the podcast uh jonathan let me ask you a question do you know what my favorite thing every year that i get to do in may is do you know what it is my favorite uh, thing spend time with me pepperdine pepperdine Bible lectures, yeah, it's, Harbor. It, it's synonymous. Yeah. You it's know what's weird? Come with me. Honestly, I feel like last year at Harbor was the best experience I ever had oh, out at there. And I hope everyone... My father-in-law who, had a heart attack, you monster. What? That had not... I, I, I don't know why those two things are correlated. I was just saying last year, it was a really great event. and Yeah, I, and I flew down there. I was super excited about it. My father-in-law had a heart attack, and I had to fly immediately back, so you didn't get to see me. So you're trying to... Uh, you're you're the worst. The what? Worst. I, I, I don't I don't know what you're trying to insinuate. It was a tragedy in our family, and are, are you trying yeah, to is say this how you pastor? Is this how you, you pastor? Do you go into tra- hospital rooms? <laughs> are you trying to insinuate that I was implying that the reason it was so good last year is because you weren't there? If so, I'm I'm personally offended, and I know the rest of my listeners are. You're personally so, offended, are right. you? What does Kevin Hart say? Uh, everybody can be offended we'll we'll have uh the emergency room is going to be filled with paper cuts okay so i'm um, just saying somebody let me tell you something in this conversation may, i'm not sure you're the right one may 2nd through may 5th the 80th anniversary of harper is happening this year the theme is god's love forever forever could anything be more important for the church now as it seeks to recapture its true identity in a changing world than to know that we are the beloved of God? I don't think so. And so you should join us for a wonderful event. Now, let me tell you something. Registration is going to close April 17th. So go ahead, hop on the link that'll be in the show notes. Make sure you, you join Storm and myself and many others. Who are you most excited to hear at Pepperdine this year? Jonathan, me and Suzanne, thank you. you so much. I appreciate that. I'm also excited <laughs> to hear from Esau McCauley. I'm excited Bob Goff is going to be there. I'm excited. There's just a lot of great people. Dude, I'm so pumped that Mike got Esau McCauley. He's one mm-hmm. of my favorites. And I actually uh, got to know Esau from your your first podcast with him. And now he's a New York Times contributor. Yep. His book, Reading While Black, was I, like I didn't, I didn't. For the record, I didn't say that because of my podcast, he became a writer and bestseller and all that. But I appreciate you connecting those two things. No, that's true. It's not because he has something to say. It's, it's mainly because... What do you call yourself, a kingmaker? The Norsworthy bump is what we're referring to. <laughs> it's a Norsworthy bump. Yeah. Uh, he sounds great. Yeah. And He's really, really I'm good. I'm also pumped that Richard Beck is keynoting for the first time ever. Like, uh, he's he's been going for a long time, but he's, I think, the most influential person in our tribe, outside our tribe. Yeah. And... Um, He's whenever, great. whenever people find out that I'm Church of Christ, I'm like, do you, do you know Richard Beck? Like Max Licato, Richard Beck, you know yeah. the. Uh, anyway, the, Richard Beck, Max Licato, Jonathan Stormont. <laughs> <laughs> what's What's the difference? I can't think of any. Uh, but the point is, Richard is someone who represents our tribe so well, and he's going to be there, and people want to know him. I, I do think Beck is a great example. Obviously. I think anyone who listens to the podcast knows that you and I are both uh, in the Richard Beck fan club. We're stands, dare I say, for Richard Beck uh, because doing great stuff, 
deep, he's a gift, man. deeply intellectual, but also deeply committed to a local church in a very humble way. Anyway, we could go on about oh, okay. Richard Beck. Forever. I just had him at uh, PV in Arkansas do the gospel according to Johnny Cash, and it was amazing. I, yeah, because Johnny Cash is Arkansas. Arkansas. Your people Dude. love love him. Now people came out of the woodworks who were like who knew him, who grew up with him. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, who played with, like, played music with him. Seriously? The Yes, one guy who played, this is crazy, man. You know that 10-person church I grew up in that I bring up often? This guy who also grew up in that church, who got spanked by the same people I got spanked by. That sounds weird. Uh, went on, I know. <laughs> <laughs> sounds real weird, Jonathan. <laughs> Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> Sounds weird. Well, when though. I think of church discipline, I think of other stuff. Okay. <laughs> Disfellowshipping. Um, do you guys do spankings at your church and <laughs> PV? Uh, you were late for church. Come here. We have a paddle. Uh, it appears that hey, you man, were on your phone. Don't knock it if it works. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this guy went on to play with Johnny. Um, wow. And he, he came, you know, he's in his 50s and late 50s and... Super cool, super cool. Small world, and Richard killed it. He did so great. Yeah, his his book. I actually just gave that to a friend uh, from Westover who I knew was a fan of Johnny Cash, so I gave him the book, and uh, he had rave reviews about it. And yeah, the fact that that played so well in Arkansas is pretty special. No, no one's surprised about that. Are we surprised? That Richard flew flew into Arkansas, yeah, uh, because a lot of us didn't realize there are airports in Arkansas. That's that's the surprise, but not that uh, that subject matter. And Richard did great there. I, you know, I want your listeners to know I invited you mm-hmm. as a, a token of sympathy. No, yes, let's go with sympathy um, to come preach at PV. I was going to expose my people to heresy, <laughs> and. You had to turn me down. No, I didn't. I said I wasn't ready to yet. I think the very item which uh, is scheduling something with you and I's uh, shared former boss was the crux of the matter, and I think it's going to work out. So, you know, let me officially go on the record and say, I'll do it. I rescheduled already. Do you tell me to reschedule? Oh my goodness! I was accepting. This is like this is like Rocky Four, where where the guy from Philly goes to the enemy territory. I was going to preach in the equivalent of Siberia, but you just uninvited me. I told you if you could just wait, I'll do it. But no, you said, I, and I. Hold okay. on, let me, you didn't pull out the text. No, that's cool. That's I cool. Pull out the text. You said, "Listen, I totally understand if you need to reschedule and do it another time." And so I was like, "Okay, guys, because they were my office was." had a sense of urgency Mm -hmm. yeah um, well let the record show this is kind of like when you offer to help your friend move and they're like oh i'm sorry we ended up hiring movers yeah you're welcome yeah like i'll come to arkansas i'll do this and then the lord bless me so uh anyway thanks for the uninvite i appreciate that and um, (laughs) publicly i'm gonna i'm gonna pretend like it didn't hurt my feelings i do it i invite privately uninvite publicly i really like this model yeah well uh Wonderful. Well, thanks, Jonathan, for that. I appreciate it. I guess we're even now for the Pepperdine comment. Um, well, glad to have you back on the podcast. It was fun. We'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> good, good talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, Jonathan, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on yep. these days. And um, I guess it was Monday night. You and I um, 
were on our group text and uh, Monday was the day where the shooting in Nashville took place. Nashville, Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, I don't know about you, how, like how much you knew the connection, but it was Monday night. I was in a meeting and got the text from Seedman saying that the pastor there uh, had lost his daughter in the incident mm-hmm. and that, um, you know, he knew, he him knew from, that pastor. Yeah. He knew yeah. him from Dallas and then Graves, Josh Graves, who who's in Nashville as well. Uh, so that actually they're, they're friends and he's just a wonderful guy. And just the idea of, I, you know, anyone losing a kid is awful, but you know, f- for me, uh, a pastor who has a nine year old daughter, it just, I don't know. I went home and, uh, I always, Tucking my my youngest daughter actually, uh, I she usually falls asleep like on my shoulder. Uh, that's just kind of what we do. Uh, but I wasn't clean because I just come from the church. She's like, "Daddy, you're you're dirty." And I was like, "I was in the church," and she's like, "Yeah, you can't cuddle with me in those dirty clothes." I don't know what she thinks about the church, but uh, so instead, I like I sat in the <laughs> beanbag sense. next to her and just held her hand while she fell asleep and just watched her and just go, "Man, I I know not everyone yeah. is going to do this with their daughter tonight." And I assume you probably had a similar mm-hmm. sobering reaction to to that shooting. Having third graders or I mean, this is not sadly, this is not the first school shooting that uh, we've had a personal connection to like Uvalde. Mm-hmm. Um, the I know uh, Sean Palmer's wife uh, had taught alongside some of the teachers who, you know, it does seem like the world is shrinking in mass shootings and it it is getting closer and closer to home. And it also seems, uh, yeah, that the same, the same response is, is, I mean, it's very predictable, right? Yeah. Like it, it's really, it's difficult because normally in national tragedies, which is what this is, like the flags are at half mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally, in a healthy culture, you come together and grieve together. Yeah. But now, even uh, our grieving is divisive. Yep. You know. Yeah, it, I remember taking a church conflict class with the late great uh, Charles Seibert, and one of the things that I remember from that class is that whenever there's us first them language in a group that's when you need outside help and so if you have mm-hmm. a group at church and there's this division it's like our group and their group then at that point you realize this is a sign that you need someone outside to come in and help solve the problem because the crisis and the conflict has risen to such a level that you know you guys probably aren't going to fix this on your own but what do you do when what you just described is the reality in our country where you go we grieve politically at this point like the, the way that we're grieving becomes very much us versus them whoever our group mm-hmm. whoever's their group and who, who do you call to come and say hey mediate the conflict in our country there's no you know con- country consultant that you can call in but what we do have mm-hmm. are the consequences of this just being such a polarized issue yeah i i don't I don't see any way forward. I mean, I'm for reasonable gun uh, gun reform, but I don't I don't see that passing. I don't see yeah, um, yeah. And you know what's interesting? Uh, Caleb Coltenbach, who's yeah. uh, mother, yeah. Okay, so um, he he told me uh, last year just as a throwaway comment. So here's the here's the thing about guns 
I think the the simple narrative is it is uh, white people Republicans who uh, want to you know not do gun reform. Uh, maybe you could say white evangelicals or you know whoever whoever the political enemies are or whatever. But it's not. It's actually a lot more complicated than that. Like so, Caleb told me that. Um, there's this significant since the Pulse nightclub shooting. There's a significant amount of LGBT people who are uh, becoming big Second Amendment backers. Uh, I know this is anecdotal, but I do think it's true. There, uh, I have to be very careful here because the sexual abuse survivor, who is also like a spiritual director, um, very like. She's a wonderful person, and she leads a group of women in target shooting every every weekend. Hmm. Like, um, and and part of that is, I mean, it, it's like uh, her own story is, you know, she's she just so it it's not it's not just this. It's like this. Okay, so. I, we're preachers, and to a person with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But you know how, like, if you bring up some kind of change in church, there's always people that are against it that are surprised. Yes. You know, like, you're like, what? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. So it's like that. Like, it's not, in my experience, you know, yes, you've got, like, Duck Dynasty and concentric circles around that, but there's also uh, a surprising amount of people who... um are also, you know, it, it's not it's not the simple kind of narrative that we we are working with. I don't think. Yeah. Um, yeah to, one of the things church teaches you is that you don't really know what everyone is right. going to think. They, they don't fit into the nice categories that you probably had in your head. And and just because someone's not being loud about it doesn't mean they don't have an opinion that is strongly held. Yeah. Yeah. But it seems like the ability to compromise is what's gone here. Right. And so if you talk about um, whatever the language of common sense, gun laws or whatever, I know that's kind of a, a left talking point. Uh, but the majority of people seem to be for that, uh, according to some research. Right. Where there's, no, that's right. But th- there's so many like other forces that are, are pushing forward that like, okay, that... I have the level of pessimism that you do that, you know, nothing's going to change with the way that we engage with guns. But what what really frustrates me is in light of the absence of that change, how come there isn't just a a common sense plan to say, hey, we're going to uh, create some sort of funding so that we can have a law enforcement officer at every school? Because we, right. we have guns oh. that go into schools that kill kids in schools. So if if guns are going to be part of our culture, which that's that seems to be the, the case for 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 the next however long uh, or forever probably um, then let's change what the school system is you can't change the guns you can change the environment where the shooting takes place and it seems to me it's yeah. like well why don't we just say let's pause the, the gun conversation or just go okay let's keep having it but in the meantime we need to ha- take some action there's a solution we had some uh, extremely brave and heroic uh, 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 
men, there, there are all men there, um, who we saw the, the body cam footage of these police officers, but to hire uh, a policeman, police woman who can go in there and be a constant yeah. presence that can mitigate what happens. And I mean, we saw that yesterday or Monday of this is what happens when you have uh, law enforcement officers on the scene. The scene was quickly handled. Um, mm-hmm. from, so let's just get them there. Why, why is that not such an easy solution that we can all get behind? I don't understand it. I, I actually think that's a great idea. Um, surprisingly from you. So <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. it's just common sense. Like, sure. I, d- Does your church, or I assume at least some of the churches that you've worked at after the the um, I don't know which one it would have been, but after the the shooting in San Antonio, our church hired a law enforcement officer, and right. it's a really yeah, awkward look team. to go like this is a uh, this is a church, this is a place of of peace and, and sanctuary. Right. Uh, but then you have someone with a with a gun in the lobby, and you go, like, yeah, I, I get the criticism of it, and it, it is what it is. Uh, but yeah we have that to prevent people from doing things that are really awful and uh, it's very complex i get it but you remember the church uh in nashville um that it was a church of christ i knew that preacher that got shot joey span i want to know that um it was back when i was at highland i think that would have been like 2016 or something um and yeah we we had ever since i've been at pv there there's been a law enforcement officer uh here on sundays and wednesdays and honestly after monday's shooting we had uh kind of a come to jesus because we have a school here as well in in the building and you know i'm i'm a pacifist like but i'm a pragmatic pacifist and i think yeah that I I cannot live with the idea of dead children because of yeah you know my anyway yeah that's awful I don't I don't think I told you the story yet but I did an interview with Stephen Prothrow uh, about a month ago and we had to reschedule it uh, because the week before uh, it was three o'clock podcast we we're going to three o'clock central and. Uh, I'm in my office. I get a text from Adeline, which is my little daughter. And she says, uh, there's a guy in the school with a gun. The police are here. Mm. And 10 minutes before the interview, I'm sitting in my office and I'm just, I don't even know what to do. And so I go, are you hiding? She goes, yes. And I go, are there any gunshots? And she goes, not yet. And I'm just freaking out because we all know the stories. Like we all know what happens. And, um, Long story short, what happened was there was a guy, um, someone who lives not too far away from me, parked in front of this old guy, he's probably 80, in a way that he didn't like, and she probably was parking, you know, inappropriately or something. He yells at her, some guy says, hey, you can't yell at her that way, and this old guy um, has this other guy calling him out, and then there's a conflict that escalates, and he's got an opponent in front of him, he's got adrenaline rushing through his brain, and he has a gun in his pocket, and so he pulls his gun out, and one of my friends who was there says, as soon as he did that, he saw the looks on people's face and then goes oh I shouldn't have done it, and tries to put it away and but at that point um, sure I, I don't know exactly the time yeah again. you can't I, the weird thing is like I saw a video of this like someone was filming this because that's the world we live in yeah. um, but uh, you know I talked to one of my friends who was uh, uh, he's law enforcement officer and he goes man this is Texas it is a surprise that this guy didn't get two in the chest like how 
I mean, that's the world we live in. Well, here's the thing. I, I told that story in a sermon. And so I go to my focus group and I tell that story afterwards. And I go, all right, did that sound political? Like it was left-leaning or right-leaning? Was this like a gun control kind of conversation? And I asked, and and that was my, my main concern about telling that story is because people only hear a, a, a story like that through one of two lenses and, yeah, and, that's th- and that's what you're talking about like with our grief or the only way we experience this is okay well i think we need more of this or i think we need less of this and this it, and we can't even do anything other than just go here are two ways to respond to it here are the talking points that we've been told and so this is what we're going to regurgitate and the the real the sadness to me you know outside of the obvious tragedy that it is well there's three things one like we are we are not flourishing Who's saying we? The, like, I'm saying modern Western people are not flourishing. Um, we The idea that this, that, you know, because it's, it's suicide. It's going to be suicide. I think anybody who decides to do mass shootings knows this is going to end with them in the ground. Um, and, yeah. and for someone to think this is what they're one and only God-given life is meant for is destruction and some kind of like infamous notoriety. You know, like we're, our world is not flourishing. Yeah. And the a, a second horrible thing about this is the cynical way that prayer is being used mm-hmm. is just it's it's like heartbreaking mm-hmm. because prayer is not. A, a thing that keeps you from action. It's a thing you do before action. Yeah. It's, it's it's a thing, you know, both David French and Esau Macaulay have said this in the New York Times this week, that, you know, the, the prayer is a way of, like, laying your life before God and letting God kind of console you. And, you know, to see social media and politicians hide behind it or um, cheapen it to uh, so we're not going to do anything mm-hmm. um, and and people on the other side who you know may may or may not believe in God anymore you know to to be like yeah go ahead and talk to your invisible flying spaghetti monster yeah. or whatever uh, I mean first off, Secular people, they don't know what to do with suffering. For the most part, secular, secular utilitarians, by their own admission, don't. They they hate suffering. They they want to end all suffering. They think they're the ones that are going to do it. But uh, globally speaking and historically speaking, suffering has always been you know part of our existence mm-hmm. and can lead to creating virtue and those kind of things rightly yeah. you know rightly seen and um you know the, the the kind of thing that moments like this can do is it can lead to social change it can also lead to like um you know so healing and and you know, lament and those kind of prayers are not anyway. Yeah. So, but I think your point that you're saying is there's a need for healing that 
prayer. I right, think, of course. I, I think religion, I think specifically Christianity, because that is my religion, can bring a lot of healing and comfort to people going through problems. But specifically what we're finding is that... <clears throat> Excuse me, that there are a lot of young men who are suffering and hurting. And there's a lot of young men that are wounded and uh, they're doing this, they're, they're processing this by themselves. I don't know if you've followed this guy named um, Professor Scott Galloway. He, anyway, I, I've been following this guy on Instagram for a while, and he has a lot of great stuff about masculinity and young men. And we have a culture that it, like, to say that it's hard to be a man right now, like it's just like, oh, how stupid. But <laughs> when you talk about there are a lot of young men that are hurting, and the fact that um, the overwhelming majority of these shootings are from young men, like people do this, like you're saying, like you're assuming that you're going to end your life and you're probably going to have a, a, a police officer um, take it for you. Like you step into this situation knowing this is how it's going to end and you're okay with that. Um, it is a sign that things are really dysfunctional specifically for young men. And if we mm-hmm. aren't being proactive to find solutions for that, and obviously what you're saying right here, like prayer and Christianity is a way to um, bring comfort and salvation to those who clearly need it right now. Um, th- like that's true because the point is like there are people who are hurting and this is a reflection of people who are hurting at a substantial and pronounced way. You know, when it, the news came out that the shooter was a biological female who was um, transgender, I, you know, our, our staff, because we're a church with a Christian school in our building every day, we see all the third graders, you know, march through day school, catching bubbles, you know, waving high fives, yeah. all the great stuff that comes yep. from having a school in your... Um, we're talking about it, and I had heard on This American Life, and uh, oh gosh, like ten years ago, a story about a, a a woman who it was her telling her own story. She was a, a lesbian, and she was transitioning from biological female to um, being a transgender male. And so she was taking a lot of testosterone. And I remember, I mean, honestly, this is 10 years ago, so I don't remember the episode, but you can probably Google it. Uh, she was talking about the effect of testosterone on her as she is, so like she is on the New York subway, and she said every woman she saw, she just wanted to have a sexual encounter with. She was like, my hormones were raging. I was so aggressive. And um, I I was telling that to just a team as we're processing verbally. And then I find out that Marjorie Taylor Greene made this same tweet making, you know, this a... Uh, <laughs> A transgender, like as if <laughs> the transgender community is like, uh, yeah, we've all got together and voted for um, mass shootings. Um, but I was like, okay, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't, I, I'm not trying to be on the same Did, side as have, MTG. Have you seen that comedian? I forget his his, his Instagram handle is like Sunday Punday, but he's a a white guy who makes this joke about um, um, how like. I, he said his point was like, I'm, I'm 
I'm with the woke people for a lot of things like, you know, Black Lives Matter. Yes, I'm for that. I, uh, you know, uh, women need to be listened to. Yes, I'm for that. But then, then when they get to like all white men are evil, I'm like, eh, I don't think so. But as soon as I say that, like I start walking away from that group and then there's another group that goes, welcome to our side, brother. Um, <laughs> so there is true, nothing man. harder than being it's a white. So and, and he's just and he's making a mockery of the fact that you have these two extremes sure. of just going, I either have yeah. to be like against women or disregarding the the sufferings and the experience of the black person, or I have to be able to say it's tough to be a white person and that there's struggles for being a man. And you go, why does it have to be either one? And you don't want to get lumped in the camp where like the, the joke is he gets lumped either in like skinheads or people who are, you know, on another extreme. He goes, why are these the only two alternatives? And like, I hear what you're saying. You're just going, obviously um, the experience of a man with testosterone running through blood, like there's something there. Uh, also, how is it to be in a world in which you're surrounded by people who aren't able to control the hormones that go through them? And so you True. find like all these people are aggressive towards you and you're not the one instigating it, but they're the ones who mm-hmm. are unable to control themselves. And then you go, well, Jesus said, if someone causes, if you have lust in your eye, it doesn't say cut off the other person. It doesn't say, you know, throw mm-hmm. a, a blanket over them. It says cut off your own eye. So you go, well, Jesus is for you to take care of yourself. So you should take care of yourself. And you go, well, it, it doesn't have to be either one. It doesn't have to be, no, this doesn't stink for women to be surrounded by a bunch of guys who don't know how to deal with their testosterone, but it also doesn't. So yeah, the, uh, no, I love it. Uh, okay. So here's the thing. Think about, and again, we're two white dudes, uh, talking about gun control, um, trying to be nuanced and stuff, but you know, it, this is what it is. It's mm-hmm. like, we're not, we're pastors. We're not politicians. We speak for yourself. Uh, <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Governor Luke. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's terrible. Oh, hey, dude, I um, I, I uh, did the House Chaplain thing yesterday in the Arkansas House Representative, which means I just opened it with a prayer, which yeah. I've never done before. Prayed? Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I almost bumped into Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who is wow. our uh, yeah. our new Lord and Savior. governor. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> okay. So, um, think about think about. Did it you like call this. her Sister Sarah? Hey, Sister Sarah. <laughs> She's Baptist. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just kidding. So, uh, social media. I I do think uh, on the net, social media has made things worse globally. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, you can point to certain examples um, where it hasn't, but I would say the same thing is true for guns um, in the sense of, like, if you're going to do social media reform, um, it's going to be complicated and messed up because it is super helpful for some people. Some people legitimately need it. You know, I'm thinking of uh, peop- the disabled community, how helpful for the aid, you know, seniors being able to communicate with. Sure, sure. You know, like... Um, and that's that's a large part of I think, but okay. So for example, the woman who was telling that on This American Life, she had a sympathetic response to a bunch of teenage men. That was what she was saying. She's like, I felt so bad for all these teenage boys because I now understood them, and that's good. Uh, that's what that's what made me bring it up. Is because I found I found that person having a sympathetic imagination. There are people who live uh, in cities who don't understand what it's like to live in the country, um, and 
and you know you don't understand having tex- branches in Texas with wild hogs that will ruin your livelihood and you know suicide farmers are the most one of the highest population of people to commit suicide um, really and yeah dude google that because everything rises or falls on their fam- their whole family's livelihood on stuff that is outside of their control, like rain and sun and you know. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay, so the if you have wild hogs, then all of a sudden you need yes. a certain kind of weapon to be able to you know yeah. deal with that, and that's part of the equation. That's not the whole equation, and you've got to govern a group of very diverse people you know when you're talking about gun reform but you're also having to think about stuff like do you remember times in the past where we've tried to take away people's guns like people that were a credible threat like waco and david koresh yeah that 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 story didn't end too well right or the the guy in colorado who i mean the i know the story um yeah so you're one of the one of the challenges is i do think Reasonable gun reform is something that is important, um, and I do think eventually we're going to get there. Um, but ideas like what you're doing, it just seems like we don't have a, a sympathetic imagination. And and what people say about preachers, you know, we I do think Christianity makes your life better. There's a strong correlation between mental health and. Uh, you know, by the Harvard epidemi- epidemiologist says that people who are regularly attending a church or religious service are, if you're a woman, I think you're 66% more likely to be um, uh, and, and have a greater mental, mental health, not be depressed. And if you're a man, I think it's something like 40-something percent. But that's from Harvard. So it's not like – so I, I, I do yeah. think that's part of it, like – the the more secular we become, the more um, the more mental health challenges we have. That's one part of it. Another part of it is uh, these beta males. If you've that book by Louise Perry, the case against the sexual revolution. Have you heard of that book? No. And go ahead and define what you mean by these beta males, please. Oh yeah, sorry. So like, it's just okay. so far away from what I am. I just don't even. <laughs> Do you have guns, Luke? <laughs> Let the record show that Luke is now flexing his. That arms. didn't happen. That didn't. Ha- My <laughs> listeners know that's so out of character for me. Okay, but okay. Describe what you're uh, referring to as the beta male phenomenon. Uh, Esau Jacob. Right. So beta male. Do you remember that time you were at Westover and you talked about what kind of man <laughs> oh, does yeah. pottery? And then you have. <laughs> One of my elders who's, he's not at the church anymore. So I feel like you're part of that. Um, (laughs) Just saying. Um, Yeah. Um, So um, Louise Perry, which is a great book, I highly recommend for any woman under the age of 40 to read. Uh, It's not Christian. She is not like, um, she's not trying to get you to believe certain things about God, Jesus, church. Um, but she is a progressive feminist who thinks that progressive feminism has largely failed women and a lot of men. 
and um, her book, The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. Richard Beck has been blogging through it on Fridays, if you just want a, a gist of it. But basically, what happens at a population level is that the case, the sexual revolution has been really good for a certain kind of man, the Hugh Hefners of the world. And um, what that has done is... Um, well, I don't want to get into this because it's her <laughs> argument, and and it feels like it's going. But what it what it has done, it is it has created a lot more loneliness in men and women. Um, that you know, alpha males have done really well with the sexual revolution, and really they're the only ones. And then there's this other group of people that are uh, women and men who are not alpha males who tend to be just getting lonelier and lonelier and lonelier. Yep. Um, and yeah, that, so that's a terrible recipe. Like lonely people right. going through adversity. It's bad for every one of us. It's bad for me. It's right. bad for you. It's bad for everyone there. So like the Virginia tech school shooting, um, was like his manifesto was he was tired of being rejected by women. Well, that's what um, uh, Professor Galloway. One of the things that he he points to is that uh, yeah, I don't really get the like the the online dating, but there is some research he was showing about like wait, for for every man who swipes right, I think that's the like you like you want to match with someone mm-hmm. that like their level of rejection is three four. It's I think he sure. says like seventy five percent. Uh, more rejection for men than women, right? And so you have right. a group of men who, if they don't make enough money and if they don't look a certain way, they're going to re- get rejected hundreds of times through our modern modern mechanism for dating, which is uh, a way where people identify oh, you based man. on what you look like and how much money you make. And so if you mm-hmm. if you got a lot of guys who are not great in those categories, then you've been rejected over and over again, which is exactly your point about the Virginia Tech shooting as you as you described it. I'm just saying there's a lot of different factors, and um, it, it is complicated, but it also needs to – I mean, yep. we're going to keep having this, you know. And, and one of the things that – it does seem like this kind of is, is a social contagion, and so once it happens, you know – It just happens more and more. Yeah, It happens more and more. There, so There's this um, – Guy used to be a uh, UFC champion. He's at the end of his career. He's probably 38, 39, and uh, lost his fight, was supposed to retire. And one of the few mixed martial artists I fought, I just find him to be an interesting guy. And he's now fighting in a lesser organization. Uh, He's actually doing like uh, bare knuckle boxing, which is just like somewhat barbaric in my opinion, um, compared to mixed martial arts, which I think is more of a gentleman's uh, game. (laughs) But but I'm watching this, I'm going, dude, why are you doing this? I know he's going to make a ton of money, more money than he makes in the UFC. Um, But the more, like, I follow him, the more I realize, like, he's part of a group of people that are athletes, and they train together, they go to the gym together, and they Mm -hmm. travel together, and they support each other, and they root for each other. And, like, I'm seeing this guy, and in real time, I'm just going, like, this is why people stay in this too long. The sport is because once you step out of this, 
like you don't have the locker room, you don't have the camaraderie, you don't have the, the, the team that supports you in life. And that's what I hear from so many athletes or even soldiers of going, I miss the camaraderie that we had and I would do anything to go back in it. But mm-hmm. outside of some of these right. yeah, like very niche sort of things, um, many of us don't have that grouping and you have a group of lonely people. Lonely people are not going to handle the struggles of life as well as those who have community. And I think that's just... Have you read Tribes by Sebastian Junger? Uh, no, I haven't. Dude, that's a phenomenal book. In fact, um, I commend it to anyone listening. Um, but he might be somebody you want to have on here, even though that book is old. It was Book of the Year or something. It won all kinds of awards. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the thing about loneliness. And again, you know, this is this is the drum I've been beating uh, now a cappella. But it's, <laughs> you mean, it's yeah, beatbox. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which you obviously cannot do. No, well. I, why do you get? Boom, boom. <laughs> I hope the listeners heard that. This guy will never be on a praise team. So, um, hey, I know you're happy that you just got a praise team, Jonathan. But you don't need to drag the rest <laughs> of us down. <laughs> so you, you'd be the guy on a praise team that they turn the mic off. Like you're there just for show, you know. That, that's that's still leading though. <laughs> still leading. Okay, as you were saying. Okay, so um, the GSS. So the drum that I've been beating for the last ten years is my friends are walking away from faith in Jesus of Nazareth, and your friends, like you know these people too. Uh, what percentage of people would you say you graduated college from? no longer would identify as Christian. I mean, just, I know this is on the, on the spot, but I have no idea how to even answer that. Would you say above or below 30%? I I am completely just guessing at this point. I I don't know. And you anchored me with that 30%. uh, Like in terms of people who would identify as a Christian, like when we graduated college compared to now. Right. um, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I'm, I feel like a lot of people have just kind of stayed the same. I would I would say under thirty percent. Oh, okay. Well, would you say more? Yeah, I, I think so. honestly, I think. Um, go ahead. I, I feel like there's a take about because you grew up in a more, or you graduated with a more uh, theologically conservative group. Mm-hmm. And I think theological, like the more conservative you are, the less likely you are to transition to a different type of religion, but you're more likely to walk away from religion altogether. Hmm. That's not my take. I, yeah. I wish I could Randy, source that. Randy Harris calls that the bow and arrow theory. And I, I sure. do think there's something to that. Like the tide or something is anyway. Mm. So carry on. Um, so um, the GSS, which is like a legitimate um, social sociological study tool, um, has recently come out, I think it was like six months ago, and said that the largest, if it was a denomination, the largest denomination in the Bible Belt are Anglo-Americans who no longer go to church but consider themselves Christian. Um, hmm. And they, it, it's the same thing that happened, and this is why the sociology is interesting. It's the same thing that happened in the New England area after the Catholic sex abuse scandal, where there's a huge group of people who are like, I'm out, I'm done with that. 
But what happened in the New England area was that they became, and now we have like, I think, what, 15, 20 years of data on this. Um, the things that people associated with like New England Christianity that was like a little bit of an aberration from the other parts of Christianity. So like uh, more like politically progressive. Uh, the, if they're from New England, though, there's a lot of that like, you think you're better than me? You think you're better yeah. than me? That, you like apples? Mm-hmm. So, yes. That's that's our Boston um, joke for the day. <laughs> that's what people tune in for, man. Yep. That's what they tune in for. Well, so here's the thing about this group of people. Um, they are the largest denomination in the South, if they were a denomination. Um, they are the ones who they supported Donald Trump. Um, they are deeply committed to colorblind conservatism, politics of law and order. Uh, the majority of them said that people, the law enforcement did not deal harshly enough with criminals. Um, the, they oppose like affirmative action. Um, they ha- so they're deeply inst- suspicious of institutions. Um, so uh, they they sound like they're conservative politically right yeah right they are and it just gets hardened and so part of it is you know uh, people i'm tired of i'm tired of getting blamed for people that aren't like (laughs) the problem in the bible belt is nominal christianity country music christians (laughs) and you know what i mean because they're 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 taking up the definition right Right. And, you know, they will, they, so the only thing that they are um, statistically, like, uh, lax on is um, sexual ethics and um, pot. It, it basically anything that keeps them from doing what they want to do. Interesting. You know what I mean? But they're, the, the, and so part of part of the challenge, I think, soci- socially, is that um, there are some people in your and mine church who probably voted for Trump, and you know, sure, yeah, the like the, but by and large, there are people that were like they held their nose and did it. If you know what I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. like they know it's going to affect brother and sister so-and-so that sit on the pew with them and so they're not like posting about it and you know what i but mean like still politically conservative right. and they prefer yeah they're politically conservative, conservative ideas. The, you know right and you know trump had you know he he had some policy ideas they found appealing or whatever sure yeah but the majority of people i'm we're just I think Christianity in America has not been tried and found wanting. It's been tried and found difficult and left. Yeah. And I don't think people are tired of Christianity. I just don't think they've seen much of it Mm. lately. Yeah. And so, you know, that podcast I did last year, my friend Greg, who works for the New York Times, um, he he used used to be... Did did uh, you say his name? Uh, His full name? Is it... Kinderball? No, I, I didn't. Okay, then I, yep, well, I'll cut that yeah, out then. I, I, <laughs> um, I don't know that he minds that, but anyway, he especially because I'm. He, it was okay. On fair record, enough. Yeah, yeah. Know, it was on a podcast. Um, but 
he he had a line in the podcast I did with him where I was trying to make this case, and he said, then go back to the catacombs. And I've thought about that a lot hmm. because I think, I mean, basically he's arguing for uh, the Benedict option. Like, just stop trying to, you know, and I don't want Christianity to be a voting block. I think that cheapens it. Yeah. I, um, one of the one of the things that Alistair uh, McIntyre, the guy who wrote After Virtue, used to say, he, he wrote an essay to Catholics a few decades ago about how every Catholic needs to stop voting in America for the next 10 years because they are muddying, they're getting blood on their hands either with abortion on the left or the death penalty on the right. And they're not able to have a consistent consistent witness mm. for the dignity of the human body. And, um... Yeah, so there's... Uh, part of, yeah. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, part of what Christianity means is being redefined because it, it becomes, like you said, more of a political identity than it becomes a way of life. And, yeah. I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so... Part, part of that back to the catacombs line for me, I found convicting. You know, he's saying it as someone who doesn't, he's not a believer anymore, but he's, um, you know, he, he cares enough to have the conversation. Like, yeah. He knows the he knows the stories that we believe, even if he no longer finds them compelling. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I do think... You know, I'm, I think I might be more have a more pessimistic view of Christianity's future in America, um, but I, I think he's on to something for social engagement. Like, yeah, what if I, I rarely see Christians engaging socially in ways that I'm like, yeah, that's that's the team I'm on. Yeah, yeah, it would yeah. be it would be nice if our talking points were more reflective of us being uh, aliens and strangers in a foreign land instead of just trying to add Bible verses to whatever, you know, political lens that we see the world through. Uh, Yeah, no, I think that's, that's spot on. Um, All right, Jonathan, I feel like this was good. Appreciate you coming back on. Fixed it. I I think so. Like, I think we fixed it. I think there's a lot of helpful things that people heard. And uh, also you said some stuff as well. And I appreciate that. I don't know why. It's because it's great for you. All right, buddy. We'll see you soon.